Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2012. Dealing with Paul's Epistles to the Thessalonians, it's brought to you by Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 12 for September 15 to 21, The Antichrist. Sabbath afternoon, September 15. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, none of us are perfect. Each of us strays. And Lord, we come to you today as we open your word that we may more fully understand what you have for us. But also, Lord, that we may see your salvation. And as we study about the Antichrist this week in Second Thessalonians 2 verses 1 to 12, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and bless us each one in Jesus' name. Amen. Sabbath afternoon, our memory text is Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Let's read that again, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion come first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. The key thought for this week is, In correcting the Thessalonians' false theology of last-day events, Paul reveals truth about end-time deceptions. In the midst of all Paul's words of encouragement as well as exhortation, he wrote about end-time events, including the greatest end-time event of all, the second coming of Jesus. In this week's passage, though Paul talks about the end, his emphasis is a bit different from that which came before. For one thing, he already told the Thessalonians the details while he was with them. For another, his goal in this text is pastoral, to calm them and persuade them to be more patient regarding end-time events and to warn them about the false teachings being circulated on that topic. The opening of this week's passage, 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 and 2, contains several Greek words that point back to 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13 through to 5.11, such as the coming of our Lord, as in 1 Thessalonians 4.15, the gathering, as in 4.17, and the day of the Lord, as in 5.2. To some extent, This week's passage is a clarification of what Paul said earlier. In it, he reveals truths that we ourselves need to understand today. Sunday, September 16, The Problem Question. What is the topic addressed by Paul in the second chapter of Second Thessalonians? How are these words relevant to us today? And in what way do we face similar challenges within our church regarding end-time events, such as date-setting, conspiracy theories and the like, however different our context may be? 
What similar principle do we find here that we also constantly confront? Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. There's no clear evidence in this passage that the church was asking questions about the second coming of Jesus. Paul himself perceives a problem and addresses it. The concept of gathering to him recalls that which Paul spoke in the previous letter in 1 Thessalonians 4. In this passage, Paul's words recall the warning that Jesus himself had given in Matthew 24 verses 1 to 13. The Thessalonians had been quickly destabilized by conflicting information that they had received in the short time since Paul had written his first letter. Paul doesn't identify the specific source of their confusion. Perhaps it hadn't even been revealed to him. By spirit, in verse 2, he likely refers to a prophetic teaching, either that of a false prophet or a misunderstanding of Paul's first letter. The second possible source is the spoken word, a teaching passed from mouth to mouth among the members. When he mentions a letter supposed to have come from us, Paul is either referring to a letter forged in his name or a misuse of one of his genuine letters. No matter how carefully a pastor may watch over a church, there are multiple ways in which false ideas can take root. It is sometimes easier for members to accept a report or rumour than to examine the scriptures carefully for themselves. Sometimes the new ideas may even be biblical to a point, but are promoted out of balance with complementary Bible teachings. The latter seems to have been the problem in Thessalonica. The Thessalonians knew many correct things about the second coming of Jesus and the events preceding it but they tended to emphasize one extreme or another of the teaching without its balancing perspectives. They had failed to heed Jesus' warning about chasing after signs of his return in Matthew 24. As a result, in 1 Thessalonians, they lamented the delay of Jesus' return. In this chapter, they seem to have drawn the conclusion that they are already in the midst of final events. Monday, September 17, Paul's Short Answer In the short interval between 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, the Thessalonian church members became confused about the meaning of what Paul wrote in the first letter. They drew the conclusion that the second coming was either at hand or had already come in some secret way. Paul's short answer to this problem? That can't possibly be true. There are too many things that haven't happened yet. The confusion in Thessalonica caused Paul to write his most extensive account or outline of final events. Had he not done so, it would not have been preserved for us. 
Question. Read 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. What does Paul tell us about the man of sin in these verses? What principles do we find here that help us to understand what Paul is discussing? Verses 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away come first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Verses 3 and 4 are an incomplete sentence in the original. That day will not come is missing in the Greek, and is supplied in most translations. Paul lists the things that have to happen before Jesus can come. There will be a falling away, the Greek word apostasia, for apostasy, and then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. That revelation is described in 2 Thessalonians 2, 8-10 as the working of Satan just before Jesus comes which we'll examine more closely in Wednesday's lesson. But before that revelation of wickedness, there is a period of mystery and restraint. In verses 6 and 7, And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Verse 4 is a description of the man of sin or lawlessness, who operates under cover for a time and is then revealed at the end. He opposes God, exalts himself above God, sits in the temple, and proclaims that he is God. This verse is filled with allusions to Old and New Testament text. The opposer recalls Satan in Zechariah 3 verse 1. Exalting himself above God and usurping God's place in the heavenly temple recalls the little horn of Daniel 8. Showing himself to be God recalls Satan in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. It also points to the blaspheming power of Daniel 11 verses 36 to 39. So, the description of the man of sin contains elements pointing to both Satan himself and a wicked agent of Satan in the course of Christian history. So to finish today, in what subtle ways are each of us susceptible to having the same kind of attitude as we revealed here in this man of sin? Tuesday, September 18, The Restrainer Question. According to Paul, what two things characterised the world situation at the time he wrote? How do we see the great controversy revealed in these verses? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. We'll begin with verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. 
Combining these verses with the previous ones, we can see that Paul is outlining three stages of history from his time until the end. The final stage begins at the second coming. Before this stage is the revelation of the man of sin in verse 3, also known as the lawless one. And before that stage is a time of mystery and restraint. While we would like very much to fully understand Paul's meaning here, there are a number of uncertainties in these verses. The restraining power is neuter, a thing, in verse 6, and masculine, a person, in verse 7. The lawless one, masculine, verse 8, is neuter, in verse 7, mystery of lawlessness. Neither is it clear in verse 7 whether the restraining power is taken out of the way or has the authority to remove itself. One translation translates correctly, until he is out of the way. Who is the restrainer or power of restraint in these verses? It is present in Paul's day. It is upholding the law, a power that restrains lawlessness, verse 7. It is on a divine time mission, and it is powerful enough to restrain the working of Satan, in verse 9. Question. According to other New Testament passages, what is holding back the second coming? Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And Mark, verse 13, and verse 10. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. And Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of waters. In much of the New Testament, the events leading up to the second coming follow from the final proclamation of the gospel. In this case, then, it's possible that God himself is the restrainer described by Paul, holding the final events back until everyone has had a chance to hear the gospel. So to finish the day, how much restraint do you need in your life? That is, when tempted, how can you learn to claim the power of God to restrain you from doing what you know is wrong? Wednesday, September 19, The Antichrist Revealed Question. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. What's especially important in all this about the phrase, They received not the love of the truth? Verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. 
The man of sin was introduced in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Through much of the Christian history, he has operated to undermine God's law, particularly the Sabbath, and to usurp powers that belong only to Christ. In passages such as Daniel 7, 20-25, the little horn, and Revelation 13, verses 1-7, the beast from the sea, the same power operates after the fall of the pagan Roman Empire, combining both religious and secular authority to persecute the saints of God. The only power in history that fits all the specifications of these prophecies is the papacy. Many interpreters from the Middle Ages and even to this day have designated this institution as the Antichrist. Only in the past century or two have the vast majority of Christians moved away from this interpretation, an interesting move in itself in light of our understanding of last day events. This identification of the papacy fits the specifications of 2 Thessalonians 2 that the man of sin would be both masculine, a person, and neuter, a world power or institution. In verse 7, mystery of lawlessness in the New King James Version is an appropriate designation for his activity. But at the close of history, just before the second coming, there will be an even more worldwide open defiance of God and his laws. The continuity of powers, both in this passage and elsewhere, Daniel 7 and Revelation 13, indicates that the papacy will play a major role at the end of time as well. Question. What earlier work of God in the course of history will the final deception counterfeit? Compare 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, and Acts 2, verse 22. Well, let's read... 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 9, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders. And Acts chapter 2 verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Today's passage draws back the curtain to reveal an even greater antichrist behind the one that has operated among the nations in the course of history. Satan himself is the author and finisher of the deceptions of the end time. As the return of Jesus approaches, events will force him into a final act of desperation. Through counterfeit miracles, he will attempt to draw people's attention away from the gospel, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, and even the second coming itself. And so, to finish the day, dwell on this idea of the love of the truth. How do we receive it? Why is having this love so crucial for anyone who doesn't want to get caught up in any spiritual deception, especially during the last days? How can we learn, even now, to receive the love of the truth. Thursday, September 20, Truth and Lies. Question. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 10 to 12. Why does God allow so many to be deceived? According to this passage, 
What have the wicked rejected? Verse 10. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved, and for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Verse 11 is a text that many people find extremely challenging. Paul states very directly, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. The knee-jerk response to this text is something like, How can a God of truth send deception? How can he act the same as Satan at the end? In today's passage, Paul draws back the curtain and gives us a glimpse of the great controversy between Christ and Satan, which involves much more than just the affairs of this earth and its history. Satan has accused God of being unreasonable, a bully, and a deceiver. In the final crisis of earth's history, God sends a delusion upon the wicked, not because he lies, but because he allows the wicked to choose lies over truth, and thus expose the outworking of decisions that they have already made. He simply allows them to bear the fruits of their wrong actions. The events of the end time clearly expose the mind and character of Satan and his followers for all to see. The process of delusion begins when people reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 10, the wicked refuse to receive the love of the truth. The offer of salvation in the gospel is the subtext that lies behind the apocalyptic powers of 2 Thessalonians 2. Through its teachings and practices, the papacy has undermined the gospel. That work continues until it is exposed by the final events described in 2 Thessalonians 2, 8-12. Thus, the final proclamation of the gospel, as recorded in Matthew 24 and Revelation 14, sets the stage for both the final judgment and the delusions of the end time. In the end, Whatever the outward political and religious manifestations of the great controversy, as it plays out here on earth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, not political events, has always been the crucial divide between good and evil throughout Christian history. Antichrist reveals its true character by usurping the life, death and heavenly reign of Jesus. All other actors in the drama play subordinate roles. So to finish the day, read carefully 2 Thessalonians 2.12. For what key reason do people not receive the truth? Verse 12. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. How have you experienced this principle in your own life? That is, how has the pleasure of unrighteousness, even subtly, kept your mind from being open to the truth. Friday, September 21. From the book The Great Controversy, page 356, we read, The Apostle Paul warned the church not to look for the second coming of Christ in his day. 
That day shall not come, he says, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 Not till after the great apostasy and the long period of the reign of the man of sin can we look for the advent of our Lord. The man of sin, which is also styled the mystery of iniquity, the son of perdition, and that wicked, represents the papacy, which, as foretold in prophecy, was to maintain its supremacy for 1260 years. And the same book, page 624 to 625. As the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. In gentle, compassionate tones, he presents some of the same gracious heavenly truths which the Saviour uttered. He heals the diseases of the people, and then, in his assumed character of Christ, he claims to have changed the Sabbath to Sunday and commands all to hallow the day which he has blessed. Only those who have been diligent students of the Scriptures and who have received the love of the truth will be shielded from the powerful delusion that takes the world captive. And from the Book of Evangelism, page 576, in bearing the message, make no personal thrusts at other churches, not even the Roman Catholic Church. Angels of God see in the different denominations many who can be reached only by the greatest caution. Therefore, let us be careful of our words. Upon these themes, silence is eloquence. Many are deceived. Speak the truth in tones and words of love. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for this week. Today, many believe that the papacy has changed, and in some ways it has. Yet, on the basic issues of salvation, it still seeks to usurp all that Christ has done and is doing for us. It is still the power depicted in prophecy. How can we stand firm in our biblical position regarding Rome while at the same time doing it with Christian love, forbearance and tact? Two, as a church, we are constantly being confronted with people who come up with new dates for final events, new charts, new conspiracy theories about this group or that. While we must remain open to new light, how should we deal with these challenges? And to summarise this week's lesson, by correcting some of the Thessalonians' wrong views about last day events, Paul gave us precious truth on the topic. We must always remember, though, that the crucial issues of the last days is not the timing of events or even all the details, but on which side of the great controversy do we choose to be? Inside Story, it's time for our mission story, A Passion for Sharing. My name is Christian and I live in Denmark. My family has no real relationship with Christ, but when I was a child, my grandmother taught me to pray and to trust in God. My faith in God wasn't popular with my classmates, and often they teased and tormented me. So when I was ready to enter high school, I didn't want to attend a public school. My parents helped me find a Christian school, and I was thrilled when I visited the Seventh-day Adventist boarding school in Western Denmark. I didn't know anything about Seventh-day Adventists, but I knew I was in the right place. I loved the worships, the singing, and the Bible study. At last I belonged. During a week of prayer, I answered God's call to surrender my life totally to Him. I asked my mother for permission to be baptised, but she refused. 
I prayed earnestly about my decision and in time Mother gave her permission. After high school graduation I joined a program called One Year for the Lord and worked in a cafe church in the city. There I started a teen club where kids could eat, talk and listen to music or just do homework. One of my friends came and I invited him to come back on Sabbath afternoon. He came and started asking questions about God. I was thrilled when people from the cafe meeting started using a prayer room I'd created. I was feeling the joy of serving God. In high school I had worked with a kids club and I wanted to start something similar while in university. Some friends joined me and we organised a program and advertised it across town. We've averaged 35 kids. We do fun activities and talk about serious topics relevant to them, such as bullying. Parents often tell us that this club is something that their kids need. The city leaders support us too and refer families to our club, where we focus on teaching respect. I work with our church plant team in my town too, and we have several other special interest ministries, including a Christian motorcycle club. I'm still in school, but I'm teaching in a kindergarten. I have a passion to share God's love with kids. I want to be there to help kids make important life decisions and let them know that Jesus is the answer to questions in their lives. God has shown me that he wants to use me and every Christian to spread this love to others. And Christian Getsin shares God's love in Jutland in Denmark. This has been Dr. Percy Harold with a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia and brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful. Thank you.